Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. The sermon text will come from Judges this morning, Judges chapter 2, verses 16 through 23. This is what it says. Then the Lord raised up judges to save them out of the hand of those who plundered them, yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, Because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the ways of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. This is the word of God. You can be seated. As you're being seated, would you bow with me? Father, we're grateful for your word. Lord, as we've learned in the past and studying uh, the history of the church, Lord, we know that the church has preserved the word of God. Thankfully, even in the English language, Lord, we have learned even that men died to get it to us in the English language. And so we're so grateful we have the word of God. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would show that gratitude, Lord, by hearing the word as we ought to, reading it as we ought. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would apply these eternal truths to our hearts. Give us grace to walk in these truths, Lord. It is not in us, in and of ourselves, apart from your work to walk in your ways, Lord. We would not come to you had you not drawn us and moved upon us. So, Lord, I pray that you would please use your word this morning to draw sinners to yourself. Lord, please save sinners. And then also those of us who do know you, Lord, please build us up in the most holy faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints because of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome again to worship at Christ Fellowship this morning. So thankful that you're here. Warren Wiersbe said about the book of Judges, he said this, he says, the book of Judges is the inspired record of Israel's failures and God's faithfulness. But if we study this book only as past history, we will miss the message completely. And then he says this, this book is about God's people today. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But this is where I got the sermon title from this morning as well, because he says this book is inspired, it's an inspired record about Israel's failures and God's faithfulness. So I thought, hmm. I don't think he would mind if I used that one phrase for my sermon title, so I did. Israel's failures and God's faithfulness is what we're going to be talking about today in this section, as you've already seen. And it's not just a historical account, though it is that, for us to learn from about Israel's character and God's character. But we're also going to see how it applies to us today because it does apply 
to us today. If you were here for the introduction sermon to this book that we had a few Sundays ago, you'll remember this image that I showed to you all called the sin cycle. The sin cycle is repeated in the book of Judges, and how it starts is the people fall into sin. They start worshiping the idols of the nations around them, and what happens is the Lord gives them over to the nations around them, to their enemies around them, and they come in and they capture them and make them servants. The people in their servitude, in their trouble and sad state, call out to the Lord, save us, help us, we're sorry we did this, and the Lord raises up for them a judge. And as you recall, we're not talking about a judge like we know a judge, guilty, innocent, not that kind of judge. This is a judge in the Bible, this means a leader, a leader whom God chose also as a, a savior, someone to rescue them from the hands of their enemies. And so that judge came along, and he does that. Or she, there is Deborah as well. And then Israel enjoys a time of safety, and they're glad for that safety. But then in that safety, they get comfortable. They start looking around at the other nations, and they start saying, hey, why don't we go after those gods again because the judge passes away, and they go and forget what they've done, and they fall into it again and again and again. We're going we're gonna to see this so many times in this book, and it's unfortunate. In the section that I just read, let me show you the outline for where we're going, and you'll see, of course, how it applies to that sin cycle as well, but here's an outline for where we're going to be going this morning. Verse 16, as you may have already picked up on, God raised up the judges, it says. And then in verse 17, the people refused to listen, we're told. In verse 18, we're told that God empowered the judges. He's the one who moved upon them and gave them the ability to do what they did. It was, it was of God. And then in verse 19, we're told that the people returned to their idols. And then in verses 20 through 23, God initiated his judgment. So you see it goes back and forth. That's why I made God's portion in the white color there and the people's portion in the yellow because I think we're supposed to see this back and forth and back and forth in the text. The author wrote it this way on purpose. And we're supposed to see God's faithfulness but also the people's folly, their great folly because we see God doing so many good things for them and they continue to turn away from him. Did their rebellion take the Lord by surprise? Was God up in heaven saying, oh no, what's, what's this about? I had no idea this was going to happen. Well, of course not. This is actually prophesied. The Lord actually foretold this would happen. Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18. Let me read this to you. This did not take God by surprise. He told Moses this was going to happen. By the time this happens, Moses has been dead for decades. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 31, 16 through 18. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. That means you're about to die. Go into the grave like your fathers are in the grave. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them. I know that's strong language, but you see, repeated, right? That was in our text as well. Wouldn't have forgotten that word, right? <laughs> Remember that? That's where the author got it from. I believe it's a reference back 
to this prophecy. It's this author intentionally showing this is a fulfillment of what God said to Moses years ago. So they went after foreign gods among them in the land that they were entering. And they will forsake me and break my covenant that I've made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day and I will forsake them, hide my face from them, and they'll be devoured. And many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evil come upon us because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evils they have done because they have turned to other gods. God said they would do this. God told Moses this is actually what's going to happen. So to answer my question earlier, did this take God by surprise? No. He's the one who actually said this is exactly what would happen. And they did. Of course, this prophecy about it happening did not cause it to happen. These people were doing exactly what their sinful hearts wanted to do. God is in no way culpable. They're at fault. They chose to ignore the God of their salvation. Though God was so good. I mean, look back at verse 16 again that we just read. I mean, we see in verse 16 of our text, then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Who raised up the judges? The Lord raised up the judges. God did this. God is the one who said, I am going to do something here. I'm going to rescue my people from those who have plundered them. I'm going to do something about this. God initiates this salvation. He's good. He's kind. He's gracious. Did they deserve this? Heavens, no. Just like you don't deserve to be saved from your own stupidity again and again. <laughs> I definitely don't. But the Lord is kind and merciful. As we see here, the Lord did it. The Lord raised up the judges. It clearly says this. This is of God. And then we get in verse 17. Yet. Mm, not a good word when you read that, especially after the Lord's kind and gracious in the text, and then you get the word. Yet. Something bad is following that. They did not listen to their judges, for they after the gods bowed down to them, they soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked. Remember from last week, this is that generation who did not know the Lord. We said it's either the fault of the parents for not handing down the truth to them, or it's their fault for not listening to what their parents said, or it's probably both. It's probably a both and not an either or. Either way, they are refusing the truth. No one ever walks in evil without knowing it's evil. You know this word conscience. You've been given a conscience. It's from two Latin words. Con, which means with, and then the word science that we have, which means knowledge, but it's from the Latin word scientia, which means knowledge. So every time you sin against your conscience, you're doing it with knowledge, with the knowledge that it's wrong. That's what the word conscience means. And so we know for a fact 
that even if mommy and daddy had not given them the law, we still know they had a conscience. We still know that they would have to sin against their own conscience with every man's been given. So they are definitely at fault here, one way or the other. The people refused to listen. And then look at verse 18, because this is wonderful. Yet again, whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge, for the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning. Now this he, he saved them from their hand of this enemy, that's a pronoun that I believe doesn't refer to the judge, but it was the judge doing it. I believe it's a reference back to the Lord and his work, because in the context here, whenever the Lord raised up the judge, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from their hands all the days, for the Lord was moved to pity. It keeps saying, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. So when it says, and he rescued them, did he use the judge? Absolutely. But again, this is all of the Lord. Cohen, you're really laboring this point, aren't you? Yes, I am. To show you that the Lord is always active in his people's lives, even when they're inactive, and even when they're wicked, the Lord is still kind to send you help. Now, you can refuse it, or you can receive it, which we'll talk more about later. In the book of Exodus, God acted in a similar way when the people of Israel cried out in their slavery in Egypt. Uh, in Exodus 2, 24 and 25, it says this. Now, this is back when the people of Israel, they weren't free yet. They're not in the promised land as they are now. This is years before when they're still slaves in Egypt. And as you recall, they were slaves there for 400 years. Not a short amount of time. Enough time for generations to be born as slaves, have children, and die as slaves, and their children even to be slaves their whole lives and die as slaves. Enough time for multiple generations to only know slavery. This is what it says. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. I love those words. God saw, and God knew. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. If this is an uncommon word for you, this, this word covenant, just know this. It's a special, sacred agreement that's binding. A binding, special, sacred agreement. And God made this binding, special, sacred agreement with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He made it with blood because there were sacrifices made by Abraham. And he reinstituted it with Isaac and he reinstituted it again with Jacob, showing that this promise is passing down to you, the patriarchs. And that is why God acted to pity and rescue his people. He remembered the promises promises that he made to these holy men. And God keeps his promises. And so he's moved to pity to rescue the people from slavery in Egypt because he remembered this covenant. Why am I talking about that so much? Well, in Psalm 106, Psalm 106, 34 through 37, David's writing, 
And he writes about our time that we're reading about right now, the time of the judges. And he mentions something. He mentions that God acts because he remembers his covenant. He's moved to pity once again for these people in the book of Judges because he remembers the covenant, but it's a different one. Not the one he made with Abraham. It's going to be the one that he actually made at Mount Sinai with Moses. Let's just read this. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. Definitely a reference to the people here in the promised land. Definitely talking about the book of Judges. But they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. Talk about more of that more in a second. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Just a quick side note here. If you think the devil is playing games with the sin that he's enticing you with, you are a pitiable fool. He is out for major destruction in your life. Not only your life, the lives of your children. Thus, they became unclean by their acts and played the whore in their deeds. There's that phrase again. Definitely a reference to the prophecy in Deuteronomy and definitely a reference to Judges. Again, same language, right? The anger of the Lord was kindled against his people and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hands of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them. They were brought into subjugation under their power. Many times he delivered them. Thank you, Father. Yes, that's true. Isn't that true? Many times he's been good to us in our wickedness. I know this is talking about them, but there's a principle here too, isn't there? Many times the Lord has delivered you from your own faults. But they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low through their iniquity. Nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when they... When he heard their cry, for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. He caused them to be pitied by those who held them captive. And then David ends this section with a prayer. Look at verse 47. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory you and glory in your praise. David ends that section by saying, save us from foolishness like this. And that prayer should be on our lips too, yes? Save us from foolishness like this. Gather us from the world. Help us not to be worldly and like the other nations that don't know God. And then he says why he wants this to be done. He's not just saying, save us so we'll have an easy life so we can keep partying and everything will be cool. And I can get that chariot I've always wanted. I mean, David, I don't want a chariot. He says, why? Why save us, God? Why gather us, God, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise? Lord, save us so that we can thank you and praise you. You, God, not about us. It's about you. David's saying, I want to thank you for all the good that you're going to do to us, and I want to praise you, Father. That's what he wants, the glory of God. The glory of God. He remembered his covenant. This is important. Because if God makes a promise, he's going to keep that promise. 
He remembered the covenant that he made with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai where he promised to be their God. I'll be your God and you'll be my people. You'll serve me in this way and I'll bless you. And I'll bring you into this good land. The land I promised to Abraham. So even then at Mount Sinai, he's remembering a former promise, a former covenant in making the new covenant. And this one was also made with blood. There were sacrifices made. There was the sprinkling of the blood on the people to show that you're clean now because of the sacrifice that's been made. And so he's remembering this promise that he made, and he says, I'm going to act. You know, I'm going to save these people because I made a promise. I'm going to rescue them. Part of, <laughs> part of this covenant, though, at Mount Sinai, there were really two parts. There was more, but if you just want a very simplified version, it really boiled down to this. Obey me and live and be blessed. Disobey me and die and be cursed. That's really what it came down to. Obey me and live. Disobey me and die. It was very black and white on purpose. Paul brings this up in talking about the law and how we're freed from the law. In the New Testament, he talks about how it's, it's unyielding. It's, you know, it's written in stone. Even in the Pilgrim's Progress, uh, John Bunyan brings this up. A Christian goes up to this mountain and there's, there's a man on this mountain. He's just unyielding. And the mountain almost crushes him because he can't climb the mountain and, and get to this person who says, absolute perfection is what I demand. And the mountain almost crushes him. The stones almost fall on him because it's a reference to Moses and the law. It's unyielding. It's written in stone. You're not going to change it. And it condemns all of us. Who can look at the law? Who can look at the Ten Commandments? And say, oh yeah, I've kept those. No, I can't. We look at the Ten Commandments and we say, I've, I've broken all those. Maybe you might say, I've never committed adultery, but what did Jesus say? You've heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman and in his heart lusts after her is already guilty of committing adultery with her. So Jesus showed that there's, there's a, something deeper behind these laws. Sure, maybe on the outside it looks like you've kept them, but on the inside, your heart is what I'm after. And all of us fail when it comes to the law of God. And this law that was given at Mount Sinai says, obey me and live, disobey me and die. And the people are walking in disobedience. Yet the Lord is... Faithful and kind and rescues them. Though he doesn't have to. If he's going to stick to the letter of the law, he has every right, every right to crush them. But he pities them and he keeps rescuing them. And how do they thank him? Thank you, God. Whew, boy, it's nice to be away from those oppressors. Oh, look, something shiny. Let me worship it instead of the one true God. And we say, boy, they are dumb. But don't they remind us of us? Don't they remind us of us, unfortunately? Well, let's keep going. Because if we keep going, what we're going to see is that God pitied them and helped them by empowering this judge. But then verse 19 happens. Verse 19 happens. Whenever the judge died, 
They turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them, bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. If you've got your Bible open, go ahead and turn over to Judges chapter 3 as well. Because Judges chapter 3 shows that they were actually more concerned with a different kind of covenant. Judges chapter 3 verse 6 says this, And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served other gods. Uh, R.C. Sproul said this, It becomes clear that the people cared more about covenants with their pagan neighbors than their covenant with God. What's he referring to? covenant of marriage. When you enter into marriage, you enter into a marriage covenant, a special binding agreement, like I talked about earlier. This one is made with vows. And we see these people making covenant agreements to live faithfully forever with unbelieving idol worshipers. God's holy people who are the chosen ones, the ones that he chose from every other people group in the world. He chose to set his affection on the people of Israel. Why? Because he wanted to. (laughs) That's what it comes down to. We definitely know it was not because they were better than other nations. The New Testament makes that very clear. Why did he do it? Simply because he wanted to, for his own glory. And instead of wanting to keep covenant with God, they want to make their own covenants with the unsaved all around them. Matthew Henry had this to say about what's going to happen next. The scale of victory turned against them. After they forsook God, whenever they took the sword in hand, they were sure to be beaten, as before they had been sure to conquer. Formerly, their enemies could not stand before them. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was for them. But when they began to cool in their religion, meaning they were not as as hot on fire for God anymore, they began to cool, God suspended his favor, stopped the progress of their success, and would not drive out their enemies anymore, only suffered them to keep their ground. But now, when they had quite revolted to idolatry, the war turned directly against them, and they could not any longer stand before their enemies. God would rather give the success to those that had never known nor owned him than to those who had done both, but had now deserted him. Wherever they went, they might perceive that God himself had turned to be their enemy and fought against them. Anytime you find yourself on the receiving end, of God's anger and judgment and his fighting hand is against you, you're sure to not win that fight. You're sure to be brought very low. And it bewilders me when I look around, now that my eyes have been opened to the truth, it bewilders me how people who live in blatant rebellion and hostility against God wonder why so much trouble and drama is in their life. And we can look and see clearly, well, duh, (laughs) look how you're living. Not only do you reap what you sow in this life, 
natural consequences, but when you blatantly turn against the Lord God, especially after having said that you know him, your state's even worse. And now I'm talking about non-Christians. What about people who know the Lord and then begin to walk in ways that are contrary to his word and life gets hard for them? What do we call that? We call that discipline. And the Bible's clear in Hebrews, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. You can tell who really are truly the people of God because when life does get hard for them, they repent and they turn back. Repentance is a characteristic, not just in in your life when you get saved. It's a characteristic when you're saved. The hardship of your own sin is supposed to make you say, Father, I'm so sorry. I was such a fool. Please forgive me and help me not to do that again. Gosh, I'm so foolish. The proverb is right. As a dog returns to its own vomit, so a fool returns to his folly. And Lord, I've been such a fool. Please forgive me and help me. Help me stay away from that wicked path. I don't want that anymore. Please help me. That is the prayer of a saint. That's the prayer of a saved person. I've prayed that prayer many times. Haven't you? If you haven't, if you say, no, that, that's kind of foreign to me, Cohen. All that you just said there, I don't, I don't pray that, that way. Well, then maybe you need to pray the first prayer of repentance. Because you know what the Bible also says in the book of Proverbs? That God doesn't hear the prayers of the wicked. Meaning, people just live wickedly and they're like, oh Lord, help me get this job. No. No. That's not how it works with God. He's not a genie in a bottle. You get to say, all right. You know, I I like it when you're hidden in that little thing there, a little lamp, whenever I'm doing all the wicked stuff. (laughs) I don't want you to see any of the wicked stuff I do. But, you know, now I need a job, so I'd like you to come out and grant my three wishes. Then when you're done, you know, you go back in the lamp. I don't really want you in my life. Just want you around when I want stuff. And that's how we act sometimes, isn't it? And that's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God of Scripture. That's the God of common culture. That's the God of television. Sure, people treat him like that all the time. But that's not the real God. And if you know him, you won't treat him that way. Just like you wouldn't treat your spouse that way. Someone who you love, if you truly love someone, you don't just want them out of your life and then say, no, I need something, you know, help me out. And then when you're done, you can go back to whatever you're doing, don't really care about you. No, heavens no. Those who we truly love, we want to be with, right? And when we sin against them, it grieves us. When I sin against Amy, it grieves me. Maybe not immediately because I'm such a fool, but eventually I say, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I said that. You know why? Because I don't like being separated from her. You know why? I love her. See all those kiddos we have? It's obvious I like her, right? (laughs) I don't like being separated from her. I don't like it when there's ice in the air. I want reconciliation. And when you know God, 
When you're in a covenant relationship with God, you want to be with him because you love him. And he loves you. So if that prayer of reconciliation is not on your lips often, then you need to pray it for the very first time and be saved today. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. We'll talk more about him and his covenant here in a moment. Isaiah 63.10 says this about the people of Israel. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy. And he himself fought against them. Which refers to our verses 19 through 23. Let's look at those. I'm sorry, 20 through 23 rather. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant... He not only remembers his covenant when it's time to save them, he remembers his covenant when they break it too. So we need to keep that in mind. Because of the covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died. Why, Lord, tell us, verse 22, in order to test them, in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So, so the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Sometimes the Lord will not immediately remove things out of your life. I've repented for things, about things, and then, guess what? Had the same temptation later on in my life. I really wish God would just take it out altogether. But the Lord's trying to grow me. He's trying to grow my spiritual muscles, just like when you're trying to grow your physical muscles. You put on more resistance to grow them. Heavier weight makes bigger muscles. Yes? The Lord will also sometimes not remove certain temptations because he wants you to be able to look at it and this time say, no, not going to do that. Remember, I remember what happened last time. I remember the wages you promised me, Satan, I remember you promised me wages. You, you said if I did that, I'd be happy. And you know what? I was happy for about five seconds, and then I was flooded with guilt. No, not doing that again. I see through it this time, and then guess what? You're stronger, and the Lord's taught you things. And that's what God's doing here to Israel. He says, no, I'm actually going to leave the people. These people have had it really good. I've fed them everything on a platter. I'm going to leave these people here. I'm going to leave the idols within eyeshot to see whether or not they will look at the idol and look at my word and say, this is way better. He's so much better. Are you kidding me? Why would I worship that? Some man made that. This is the God that no man has made. He's from beginning to end. He has no beginning. and He's the eternal God. And look what he did for us. I've read about how he, we're, we're even in the promised land because he delivered my fathers from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And he brought us in. He drove the nations out through Joshua. And you know what? I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be like Joshua and Caleb. I look up to them. I even know some of their relatives who are still living. And that's the, how the Lord will treat us as well sometimes. He'll say, I'm going to leave that there so that you can learn. And grow. I want you to read my word and I want it to be your food so that you will not look to that as food anymore and pleasure and happiness. Again, if all this sounds very foreign to you, if you say, this is just 
not making any sense to me, then I say to you, know the Lord. Come to the Lord Jesus. You know, it's interesting because Paul takes up the same language Isaiah did. Isaiah says, but they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. You've heard that language in the New Testament. Talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. When he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, you might think, hey, Isaiah, you you got that from Paul. No, Paul got that from Isaiah. Isaiah said it 700 years before Paul did. We're just so used to the New Testament that we don't realize there's so much of the old that's actually in the new. Because that was the Bible of the early church, was the Old Testament, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So Paul takes up that same language when talking about grieving the Holy Spirit when he writes to the church at Ephesus. Listen to this. This is from Ephesians chapter 4. This is all in the context of Paul telling them, don't be like the world anymore. This is a church who's a baby church and they're struggling and he's trying to encourage encourage them, don't go back to the ways of the world just like the Lord says, hey, drive all the nations out so that you won't be like them. There's a definite connection here. So listen to what he says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And say that one again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. You know, Jesus is out of the heart the mouth speaks. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And here's our verse. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So in Ephesians 4, Paul tells them to no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Don't walk like you used to. He even says to The one who were thieves, hey, you who were thieves, don't steal anymore. Work hard, and you'll have extra to share with people. You were a thief before, only caring about yourself. Now you're a new creation in Christ. Work hard and have extra to give to others, not just keep it all for yourself. So he's trying to show them, these are the ways of the world, the way you used to be. This is the way of God. And you came this way because of Christ. He says, as God in Christ forgave you. Hmm. How am I, how am I forgiven in, in Christ? Well, this is only possible because of Christ. Because of the new covenant. If you're in Christ, guess what? You're under a covenant as well. An agreement that God made before the foundation of the world with Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ would come and save a people. He would die for a people. And these are the ones that he took the punishment for on the cross when he died and shed his blood and was buried and rose again from the dead. You and I, those of us who are saved, if you are saved, I don't assume everyone in this room is, I hope that you would be. Because you can be. You can be. Jesus is walking through right now in this sermon, calling out to you, saying, sinner, come. 
I receive sinners. Do not try to clean yourself up first. That's my job. I clean sinners. Because Jesus Christ took the punishment for sinners. He took what you deserve. If we took our outline from earlier and we put Jesus in the place of the word judges, it works perfectly. Can we put the outline up again? Earlier in verse 16, I said God raised up judges. Remember, it's the, um, the reddish. There we go. Thank you. God raised up the judges. We can put in the place of the judges, God raised up Jesus. And then guess what? The people refused to listen. That happened, didn't it? John chapter 1. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But Dahu did receive him, who believe in his name. He gave the right to become the children of God. And then also, we know that God empowered Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism, moves him into the wilderness. He's tempted for 40 days, and that's when he begins his ministry. Remember that? Perfectly following the will of the Father, fulfilling it in every way, keeping the law perfectly from birth. Jesus never sinned. He was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. So God was with Jesus And it says also next, the people returned to idols. So many refused the Messiah, didn't they? And they returned to the idol of self. The Pharisees and Sadducees, oh gosh, they were lovers of self. They loved the praise of man, Jesus said. You know what? We're a lot like them. We're a lot like them. You know how tempting it is for me in my position to simply make people like me and to say things you want to hear, you can build very big churches that way. I'm not saying all big churches are bad, but I'm saying you can do that. But I would be betraying God if I didn't speak the truth. I could make an idol of myself as well. I like the praise of man as well. Who doesn't like to be liked, Right? But you have to be so, so careful because you will betray your God in order to get compliments from man. You will. And then in the end, where it says God initiated his judgment, that last part that was for our original outline, is true of Jesus Christ as well. God initiated his judgment, but Jesus took it. That's what the cross is about. Jesus Christ taking the punishment, the judgment, not that he deserved, but that you and I deserve. And he died, shedding his blood, which was necessary to initiate the new covenant. And he did, and he rose again from the dead, showing that the price was paid, showing that the Father was pleased with the offering of the Son, showing that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints so you and I can come and be part of the new covenant And when you sin, and when you betray your God with your sins, even your daily sins, and you repent, and you confess your sins, because the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guess what God remembers? He also remembers his covenant, the new covenant, with Jesus Christ. And he's able to pity you and say, I can forgive that sin because Jesus already took the punishment for it. And I'll rescue you just like he did for the people of Israel. Isn't that good? Isn't that good news? God still operates with his people in a covenant. 
But ours is the, is the new covenant, which is called a better covenant in Hebrews chapter 12. So, let's draw from this what we need to. That we are just like these people. That sin cycle, is it okay if we bring that image up again of the sin cycle? You are like this as well. Don't think, wow, look at those foolish Israelites. Gosh, they're dummies. I'm glad I don't act that way. You're a lot like this as well. And so know this. The Lord will discipline you to bring you back. However, you don't have to fall into that. They saw so much trouble because of this sin cycle. Just don't get in the sin cycle and you won't see the trouble they did. The book of Judges is a, it's a pretty sad book, actually. But it's sad because of their sin, which is why we're going through it. It's a good warning for us to not be like this. Don't be like this. You know, when you're going through uh, maybe like training to learn how to drive a car, one thing that they do as a part of that training is they show you, hey, Let's look at some car accidents and things like that, and it motivates you. Whoa, I don't want that to happen to me. I'll be a better driver, therefore, right? That's part of the training sometimes. So we're going through this as to say, whoa, hey, I don't want that to happen to me. So let me follow the Lord in holiness and in righteousness, because Jesus is coming back for us in a holy state, right? And don't you want to please him on that day? I do. So let's take these warnings from them and not repeat their folly. Yes? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are so faithful amongst our failures. I pray that we would not be this foolish. I pray that we would not forget the words of warning that we've received from those who love us. I pray that we would not forget the word, but that we would be constantly, of course, daily, saturating our minds and hearts with it. Lord, help us to have a regular practice of being in the word of God and reading it and obeying it and heeding the warnings that you have for us because you love us so much. You don't want us to keep falling into sin and trouble and drama. You want us to live holy, peaceable lives in Christ Jesus, advancing the kingdom, loving others. So please help us. And Lord, those in here that might not know you yet, of course, I pray that you've been speaking to their hearts and drawing them to yourself. And those in here that are stuck in some type of sin cycle, Lord, I pray for their deliverance today, please. Ultimately, help us all to be like Jesus Christ and to look to him for our salvation and safety. It's in his name we pray. Amen.